It's Friday, October 7th, 2016, and you're listening to episode 417 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 46 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. This is Brodor. My name is Pat. Okay. So we have talked about on this show, in fact, we had a whole like two-part episode dedicated to mental illness and gaming. And as part of that episode, one of the things I've talked about on this show in the past, and I guess I'm pleased to do this because what I do within the gaming industry, really no one can take away from me. And the job that I do because of the need for it in this area, everyone's been willing to accommodate me. So I'm happy to talk openly about struggles that other people may need to hide. And my primary struggle psychologically or psychiatrically is that I have an anxiety disorder. I worry about things irrationally. And I specifically have a form of anxiety disorder that under its classification code in the diagnostic list would be called anxiety disorder with panic attacks, which basically means that I can go into an irrational state of total panic, like the you've lost control of your car on the interstate sort of state of mind, just sitting on the couch when nothing is happening. Now, if you're wondering, why am I, I telling you all this? I'm wondering why, and I'm sitting right next to you. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's because of what happened on our trip from dinner to record this episode. <laughs> so we go down to this restaurant, the sort of fast Japanese place called Hibachi Boy. It's just down the street from us. <laughs> and the boy shorts they wear there are spectacular. <laughs> it's Japanese boy, well, not Thai yeah, boy. The blonde in the boy shorts was good. <laughs> Point being, so we get in the car and we're about to leave. And Pat's like, hey, Brodor, do you mind if we make a stop on the way back to Dan's? Now, I'm thinking at this point, oh, okay, we're probably going to hit the donut shop right or there. Or custard or something. Or, or right. yeah, or we're going to grab maybe a, a six-pack of beer or something like that. I'm assuming we're looking for Pokemon. Well, or that was another possibility. Yeah. So we're going to stop at a Poke Stop, and I know where the ones along that street are. And so we, of course, asked the obvious question, where are we going? Uh-huh. And Pat wouldn't tell us. Right. No, well, he said a golf course. Yeah. And, and well, at first he that, didn't respond. If golf course might have come, it came a little bit into it. Yeah, but this was like the last golf course on the left. Like, there's no lighting down this very <laughs> yeah, yeah. long so, so Pat's like, road. So Pat's like, like, somebody's getting buggered, right? I mean, yeah. like, my butthole puckered. <laughs> so I'm thinking this better be a really good Pokemon. So, so Pat's like, I want to go to a golf course. Yep. Now, now, there is a golf course that I actually back up to. There's a creek at the edge of my property line, and the other side of that creek is an 18-hole golf course. So I'm thinking, okay, there is a golf course there, but I live along the creek. I share a property line. I can tell you there's no... Poke stops back there. And all he said was, yeah, the, well, there's a golf course right by my house. I'm like, yep, that's perfect. That's where we'll go. Yeah, he's like, and you just like any <laughs> random one will do. Yep. And, and so I'm like, now, of course, mind you, this is like eight, nine o'clock at night. Yeah. It's, it's not like you're going to yeah, play around to golf. None of us even play golf. I think, Pat, you do have a set of clubs, don't oh, you? Oh, I play golf. Yeah. Okay. So I just haven't played in a long time. Are, the anxiety Are you kidding? Hasn't have you seen his car? That man plays golf. So the anxiety hasn't hit me <laughs> oh, yet. At it's already hitting me. So I'm like, we've been talking Pokemon that all night. He's been looking at Pokemon. I, at this point, hundred percent uh, assume yeah, yeah. that we're going for Pokemon. So, I have the game up and running and waiting. Well, yeah. I did too. On the off chance he knew something I didn't, because he had just been talking about the, how the spawn points got updated in the patch. But I live right here, so I know there's nothing in that golf course, right? And but he's like, "Let's just. I want to go to this golf course." 
something I'm like, okay, I'm trying to mentally think of what do you do at a golf course in the middle of the night? There is like a club there that has a restaurant that is sometimes open to the public, but we had just eaten. We had not made reservations. It is an upscale restaurant. It's fairly expensive. It's fairly like you need reservations to get in there. Or you have to know somebody. And this golf course, it's not like right on the road. Like you turn down this unlit, like barely two lane road. Right. And during the day, I bet it's beautiful. But at night, it's very walking daddy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it is. Or if you've played the game, it's very seven days to die-ish. But you're walking down, or you're driving down this thing, right? It's the middle of the night, and I, like, what the hell are we doing? Like, there is no reason to be back here. So finally, Pat just goes, eh, just pull over here. I'm just that randomly. So at this point, my anxiety starts yeah, to catch. This is, this is why my anxiety was already up, because I know there's oh, nothing back there. I've been there before. So he gets out of the car. Yes, we're going to go over here. And he says, yeah, as he says him, this, we all have to get out of the oh, car. No, but start off with, he gets out of the car, and I notice he seems to have something on him. Oh, yeah. And my mind immediately goes to, I've known this man for years. Has he snapped? Is he going to kill us all over this hill? That, dude, I was going through, once again, having anxiety disorder. This is what's going through my mind. I am the last one out of the car. Because this is what's going through my mind. You were, you were, you were like, smander it, Dad. It was great. I'm like, boy, it's take it down. <laughs> Because <laughs> Pat just said, "Wait, taking too long." <laughs> I know he was. He was like, oh, he was like, he was like all antsy to like get yeah. this done. Because he's acting really weird yeah. at this point. And so, and it, so that is that is literally my thought when he gets out of the car and closes the door. Has he gone crazy? Is he going to kill I us? So, so, so I, I'm the last yeah. out of the car. So, so, for anyone who, so for anyone who's not following the scene, we are down a secluded oh, road. Sh- no lights, man. No dude, lights. Because they, they don't like golf courses. I'm crying. Well, I'm well, laughing. Dude, so and hard. that parking lot, there's a berm. Like, we had to climb yeah. over a yeah. berm. Yeah, you can't yeah. see. Oh, right. No. We and, go down a blind hill where you could roll a body and nobody's yes. going to find it until tomorrow. He, he leads you guys. He and there was a lake right down. there. So he leads you guys over this, and I'm back of it. Yeah. And I, I'm going up this, like, okay. And the whole time, he's acting really He's weird. carrying this bag. Yeah. <laughs> I get to the top of the hill and I look down and the three of you are down there and I'm the whole, the whole time I'm still thinking, has he snapped? No, no I mean, Wayne, seriously, oh, no joke. God. My thought process is this is occurring is I'm sitting here thinking like, oh my God, nothing about this makes sense. I cannot connect any of the dots here. Everything in life is logical. Oh. If you can't connect the dots, you're missing data. Nothing's random, right? I don't believe in in random things. Pat, not knowing what's going through my head, probably didn't even notice. No. When I stepped down the hill, I kept Brodor between me and him. <laughs> well, so if he started to attack <laughs> while he's getting Brodor, I could move to stop him. Actually, Wayne, I don't know if you would notice, but I had actually moved to his side, so my on hand was facing his off hand. I did notice that because, because the I'm whole like, time I'm thinking, has I, he well, snapped? And I'm sitting here like in my head, like, like okay, I, I gotta keep this in check because, like, keep in mind, I have a mental disorder. Oh, What's going through my head is oh my I'm God. thinking, okay, Dan, calm down. This is Pat. Pat's a good guy. He's got I've a known wife. Him for years. He's got kids. Oh. I've known him for years. I have never seen the man do anything violent. I have never heard him fantasize wow. about violence. He has not recently like picked up some weird ideology. This it's is like, what's going through my head too the entire like, time. Oh my God, they're, they're, he's not going to kill us, but. <laughs> 
But then why are we here? Wait, like I the, thought he was going to whip his dick around, right? Like, 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 and he's got this thing in his hand and won't tell us. It won't tell us why we're in a dark field by a lake. In the middle of the night. You have no idea how good it makes me feel to know that this was going through your head, too. Yes. And I, so I'm just thinking, I like, no clue. And, and I'm like, either. and I'm like, holy, shit, this is the start of some horror movie, right? I, I mean, love that Dan and I are positioning ourselves to deal with the situation after Brodor's well, dead. You're putting, you're putting, you're, you guys are just ready for me to be killed by Crazy Pat. And I'm, I'm poor white trash in North County. I lean down to touch the grass on the green because I'm never going to touch grass this beautiful ever again in my life. I saw you do that. I was like, what the f*** is he doing? We were, we we're on the tee box. There's a tee box. Yeah, yeah. Brodor's one of the few white people they don't let on that golf course. Yeah. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit. So, I see wait, that wasn't the... even the green? No, no, that oh, was a T-Box. Oh, man, I gotta go back. I wanted to be, I wanted to be on the 18th. Okay. Well, I wanted to be on the 18th green. So and you'll then, understand in a minute. So then Pat gets out what I could tell was what appeared to be a, a, a jar can about the size <laughs> Of like a tall boy beer, about yep. like size like a like a. It was a, absolutely a tall boy. It was a tall boy, which was like twenty four ounce. Yeah, twenty four yeah. ounce. Remember the ounces on. So I see this, and I'm like, well, he doesn't drink anything like that. He's building up the courage. He's <laughs> like, well, it's not a grenade. Well, yeah, but okay, it's not a gun. And and then once again, we're still sitting here in the middle of the dark by this lake over a hill with no one around, and Pat says. We've lost one, or we've lost a homie, and I'm like, I'm like sitting here thinking, like, oh my gosh, this is the part someone of the horror he movie. Knows, yeah, someone he knows has, and cares about is dead, is dead, and now he doesn't want to live anymore, and he's taking us with him. Like, th- this is like the first line of like a horror RPG, right, or a horror movie is like, okay, everyone got their dice or pencil. Somebody's died, and. and, and and it's like you're sitting there like if, if life was a role playing game, you're not allowed to turn over your note card yet. And so you're thinking like, am I dead? <laughs> Is Pat pouring one out for me? <laughs> and so then finally he gets this thing out. Oh, he takes the pull off and he's like, we lost Arnie. And I'm thinking, OK, now at this point, I'm like. Arnie who? Like, does he have a friend yeah. named Arnie? Because I know that the name's like some of your friends, oh right? That you God. have like back in, in southwest Missouri, uh, yeah. Springfield. I couldn't. Uh-huh. You know, I know some of your friends' names. Like, does he have a friend named Arnie that I've heard of? Oh, my God. And it turns out the drink he has is an Arnold Palmer, and he was pouring it out on the golf green because Arnold Palmer just died. Yep. We only find this out <laughs> as he's pouring out the beer. Like, no, it was an Arnold Palmer. It was an Arnold Palmer. Was an Arnold it was Palmer. I'm sorry, it was not a beer. He's pouring out a, a tall boy beer can. A tall boy, yeah. And it was the Arnold Palmer bread. Yes. I mean, it's, it's got him on the can. But he then pours it out. He takes a drink oh, out man. of it and then pours it out pours for Arnold Palmer and... I'm just sitting here. It's like getting out of a visit with the oncologist. It's like, I'm going to make it. I'm going to live. It, See, is it, made so you better. it is so surreal oh at that moment. God. It's like, did this just actually happen? Yeah. That is awesome. That's, it's so much better than I anticipated. So the whole thing. So this all started. I went to uh, the Walmart that's up by Dan's house before the, the show, and I was walking by, and they had on an end cap, they uh, literally an end cap, it was a, a display case of 
Arnold Palmer's. It was this, you know, these 24 ounce cans right. of the Arnold Palmer drink. And I'm like, it was probably just a coincidence in the last couple of days he died. Mind you, I hadn't heard this either. <laughs> right. So as he's pouring it out to Arnold Palmer, I'm like, what? Arnold Palmer's yeah. dead? What? But, so, and I, so I saw that and I'm like, oh, oh. And it was, and they were on sale. It was like 50 cents for this, you know, 24 ounce thing of, of you know, Arnold Palmer. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to buy one. And I, I knew what I was going to do. I was, I'm going to put this in a bag. I wish I had a paper bag. <laughs> they didn't have the paper bags at, at the Walmart because I was, you know, putting a paper yeah, bag. Yeah, and that was your third choice after violin case. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, I'm going to put it in a paper bag. And then when we go to dinner, after dinner, I'm going to look and see if hopefully there's a golf course somewhere around. And I'm going to do this thing like, you know what you do? You pour one out for your, your fallen homie, you know? Yeah, next time, don't bring it in a bloody duffel. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm like, well, luckily, I looked on the map to see before we even left. I'm like, oh, good. There's a golf course right by Dan's house. And we're going to, we're, we're literally, I, when you said hibachi boy, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's just down Mid-Rivers Drive, right? Like, yeah. And I'm like, that's perfect. And I thought you were just clarifying location <laughs> yeah, with me. Yeah, because like, it's just, it's down there. And on the way back, we'll be going there and just going to the golf course. So, yeah, because you know, and I was going to do this, you know, have this thing where I just get out as just as funny as a funny ha ha, a little funny. ha I get us all out. We go up on the green and I pour out a, you know, pour, pour one out for Arnold Palmer. And they'll be like, oh, OK, that was funny. And then we just laugh and go back. I had no idea. I mean, and it was it was dark. I couldn't see the reactions on your face. I was like, I just. It's so much better than I planned. I love it when a plan comes together. Pat, you have, I mean, <laughs> let me back up. And for anyone oh God. playing the home game, emphasize that the reason you call it an anxiety disorder <laughs> is because the anxieties aren't rational. Right. If they were rational, you don't have a disorder. You have something to be oh. afraid of, right? If a guy really is about to kill you on a golf course in the middle of the night, then that's that not a disorder. Happened. But I'm sitting here thinking all oh this stuff God. is like, okay. The logic is going through my head. I, I, I have known no him. Pat. I know he's not violent. I know yeah. he has a family. The moment he says, we've got a fallen one, that's <laughs> and, when it really starts. I'm like, even thinking, <laughs> oh, God. Somebody, I've been talking to Beth, and I, so I know that she's fine. Because I'm talking to her on Facebook right now. It's not her. Oh, my so God. He's, that's or Pat likes Buffalo Bill. <laughs> yeah. oh, oh. But... I'm sitting here thinking, like, you know, Pat's, he's like the archetypal Capricorn. He's got this really organized mind. This is, like, the worst way to commit a murder and get away with it. <laughs> this <laughs> He can't kill three of us. You know, it's like, <laughs> wow. But that's what's going through my head the whole time. It's like, it just kept getting weirder and weirder. It, mm-hmm. Until at first it was like, ah, Pat just wants to get donuts. And, I, you know, and he just, he wants it to be a surprise for some reason. But as it kept going, it's like, no, we're going to a golf course. And now we're driving down this dark road. And now any parking spot way away from the club is as good as any other. Now we have to get out. Now we have to get out. Now and walk we, over the hill. I even told myself. And yeah, we have we to, yeah, we to get like, out of view of people I, passing I did, by. I, I told we, we parked the car back in the dark. And I'm like, all right, everybody out. Yeah. And, and what? And like, yep, we're all going. And, and yeah, the club's like way over there. I mean, far enough away. They probably wouldn't even hear the gunfire. And all all this is like <laughs> the only thing I could come up with was maybe Pat wants a golf ball for some weird reason. But I just got done telling him since my backyard is up against the golf course, we find golf balls back there all oh the time. So I just I love I, that you noticed that I was lagging behind, but hadn't put together why. Yeah, no, no, I had no he idea. Does. He's sitting there holding that bag. He looks at me. He's like, 
you know, Wayne's being really slow right now. <laughs> and I'm like, I was, I was, I, I said, I'm like, I, in a frustrated tone, I'm like, God damn it, Wayne, get your ass down here. Oh my God. No, that was me calculating how, yeah, like what is going on? Okay, so that's all great. Because I, I literally, I had no idea. And but it, the reason for it is, is, I don't suffer from anxiety, so right. I don't understand this, oh, dude. I, it, I mean, literally, the thought never even entered my mind. Not even, not even in a minute way that you guys, this would have been upsetting to you. I mean, literally yeah. not because. Uh, well, again, I, for me, it was just it was a funny thing. It was right, just a funny, right. ha, a little ha ha thing. So it was just, I thought, it, well, a cute thing, because in all honesty, like I said, I grew up watching, I, my dad's a golfer, I grew up literally from a child watching Arnold Palmer play golf. So right. he is, to me, a, a golf legend, he's the gentleman of golf, so he died, and, and I thought, oh yeah, well, this is a nice, funny little whatever tribute to him, you know, whatever, so that's why I did it. So again, for me, it was all in good fun and just a funny little thing. I never in a million years would have thought that it would have caused such agitation for you guys. This is something that Wayne and I have talked about at length yeah between just between the two of us because we both have this condition is one of the worst things you can do to someone that has an anxiety disorder is leave anything unknown one of the worst things you can do would be like to call them up and say i really need to talk to you i'll explain why later and then hang up or send a text when you get a chance i need to talk to you yeah because what's going to happen is our minds are going to fill that vacuum of information with the absolute most terrible possibilities. That's what the anxiety disorder is, right? It's not rational. And so anytime there's a vacuum of information, our minds are going to fill in the worst possible things, which is why Wayne and I have this agreement between each other that there may be times I can't talk to Wayne fully. Uh So I might say like, hey, Wayne, we need to talk, and it's more than I can cover in a PM, but just so you're not stressing about it, this is the topic. Uh-huh. Yep. You know, this is what we need to talk about. Just so he's not running through his head, wondering all and inventing all these horrible ideas, like Pat's about to kill us and roll us into the lake of a golf course. Uh-huh. Now, mind you, Pat, to make you feel better that it's not just you. I've gone through this with family members oh, and sure, things. Sure. As I, I've even my own father at times, he'll be sharpening a knife uh-huh. because. He is a knife collector and a yeah, knife guy, yeah. and he spends his free time sharpening them. Oh, yeah. My mind is rolling every time I see it. That's one of the things like people talk about, uh, well, if you're comfortable around firearms or knives or things, the anxiety kicks in for me when somebody has a weapon. Right. Mm-hmm. Because even if I know them, that thought is always there. Yeah. They have a weapon, and I don't. What if they snap? What if they're just having that bad yeah. day? Yeah, which is one of the reasons why when you guys come to my house i don't have the firearms out when i'm even carrying one i don't flaunt it you know as whatever and i'm not i don't want to get into a political thing here about about gun rights or gun control or whatever but my point is it's about anxiety disorder it's about knowing that these things are going to make rational people nervous and irrational people like wayne and i are really afraid (laughs) and so i Congratulations, Pat. I don't know. (laughs) I'm incredibly pleased. I really am. But, you know, I I want you to know you've accomplished something that one of the most frightening men on the face of the earth has failed to do. That is Arlie Ermey. Yeah. Okay. So Arlie Ermey, the man who it's a little bit of history on the guy. Okay. So he was an actual sergeant Mm -hmm. in the Marines. Yeah. And. 
when they brought him on to do Full Metal Jacket, my understanding of the story is he was not supposed to play the role of the drill sergeant. They actually brought him in to coach the guy that was going to be playing the role of the drill sergeant. But he was doing such an incredible job of being so intimidating and having such a presence that they just gave him the part and sent the other guy home. Now, I don't know if that story is true or not, but that's where I've been told. But whatever the case, I think anyone listening would probably agree that Arlie Ermey's you know, acting job or what he did in Full Metal Jacket, he became very much the archetype of the scary drill sergeant for at least two generations. Mm. And to see him now as an old man still doing like charity stuff with the military where he's much softer and kinder, it's very, very trippy to watch because that's not what you've known this man for, right? And when they were filming Full Metal Jacket, that scene where the one guy starts laughing, that wasn't scripted because of the fact that he knew it was all in character or whatever. And he was listening to a guy who's, you know, acting, he was a you know a real sergeant or whatever had been in the past, but because he was acting or whatever, one of the guys down the line started cracking up at him, mm. and that led to that scene of you know what are you laughing at all you know all that kind of craziness that that ensued there. So the point is, you successfully scared the crap out of me in a way that Arlie Ermey <laughs> failed. To scare the crap out of somebody <laughs> with just peculiar presence. <laughs> you had two people calculating how they were going to take you down or, after you killed Brodor. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just thought it was time for a bro job. I know, that's what I love. Out of the three of them, I love your your reaction the best. Like, well, I, I thought he was, you know, it was going to be a bro job. I'm like, yeah, yeah that would have been awesome. <laughs> I tell you, that is the genius. Oh, if, if there's any role played advice in this, and I don't know that there is, it, oh. it is how powerful it is to create an expectation, either intentionally or unintentionally, about what's going on, to let people's minds fill that in. One of the things... If you start acting weird, people will start filling it in. Exactly. Or they'll think you want a bro job. You can set either what you say and do or what you don't say and do so much about the mood of a situation. And this is so powerful in a role-playing game because you might have, obviously, characters who are supposed to be, you know, in their own zone. But obviously the real psychology at play here is the player is interpreting the character. And if you start off being silly, or you start off by setting down props in front of people, or you start off by dimming the lights and, and whatever, you know, the things that you do, you are setting a mood, you're setting an expectation for the players about what is going to occur, and that is going to powerfully affect the tone of the game. And it's something that's so easy to do. I, Pat, if he had started off a World of Darkness LARP right then, I probably would have just gone with it. Because <laughs> <laughs> he'd be like, maybe this would placate him enough until one of us can call the cops. <laughs> and <laughs> Which is really what you do in any World of Darkness LARP, just an FYI, placate the person running it long enough until you can call the cops. <laughs> glowing red (laughs) and he's shaking too that was the best part thank you (laughs) (laughs) i've lost brodor (laughs) i'm cool cool. but but there are two things i think i have heard in my life that have more powerfully shaped this 
this understanding than anything else. One is a point that I think it was Chad made, and I, I'm sure he heard this from somewhere else, and I, I don't know where it, it originated from, but he made the point that the vast majority of comedy is a subversion of expectation, that you set up a joke that you think is going to go one way, right? And then at the last second, you change where it's going to go. All right, I'll, I'll warn you guys in advance. This joke's not obscene, but it is certainly a little bit on the salty side. So if you've got children or whatever, turn your sound down for about 20 seconds. I'll cover my ears. <laughs> Guy walks into the doctor, says, doctor, my shoulder is really killing me. It really hurts. The doctor takes a look at him and says, well, you're going to have to stop masturbating. The man says, really? For how long? And the doctor says, well, at least until I can examine you. <laughs> I love that joke. Yeah, yeah that's no, a good one. <laughs> but it's, it demonstrates that subversion of expectation because mm-hmm. the expectation is that it's about his lifestyle. Not he's doing it literally right there on the spot. That That's a subversion of the expectation. The other one was something that I got after the crisis I went through in my own life. And I was talking to my mom about it. My mom was a, a trauma surgical nurse. And she said one of the things that we were taught when we were going through school to, to do what we do is she said you always give the patient as much information as you possibly can. Because she said there is no fear greater to the human psychology than the fear of the unknown. Because if I tell you anything, if I tell you even the most terrible thing in the world, you can eventually figure out how to cope with it and move forward. But if a doctor simply walks into the room, looks at your chart and says, holy crap, and then runs out, what do you do with that? I don't know, Dan, if you walked in and said, okay, we're going to do a World of Darkness LARP right now, I don't know if I would deal with that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you'd probably be okay with, you know, at least it's going to be Hunter's Haunted. And I'm not going to take you out over a berm in the middle of the night. (laughs) (laughs) At least we're in a lit room. And you have a cuddly stuffed animal. You have that giant lion right there from Fear the Con. So you can snuggle with that to feel safe while I... That would stop a knife. It would. Yeah, yeah, it would. But (laughs) for the first few... First you know, few stabs, first yeah. Few stabs, yeah. <laughs> so would Brodor. That's right. How you like that pecking order there, Brodor? Yeah. <laughs> well, you're fine as long as you're the second slowest guy in any group. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about it. <laughs> I mean, all right. I mean, I'm glad I don't have to suck your d- <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> You've had a good run. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, the thing is, is that, you know, not having the anxiety disorder, but, you know, suffering from, you know, bouts of depression, I was guess I would be like, wow, I don't have to go to my f***ing job tomorrow. Cool. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't have to kill myself. So I got that going for me. <laughs> <laughs> At least when I stand before uh, God, I don't have to answer for suicide. Right. <laughs> Boy, being that the way that you set expectation, it can be done with information, but sometimes it can be done with lack of information. If you walk into a role-playing game group and you put down a coin, like a prop coin or a fantasy coin, you put one down in front of everybody, they're going to be examining that coin, wondering why, wondering what it's for. I mean, we just posted something on Facebook on our personal feeds. Several of us just did an escape room. Now, for anyone that's not familiar with an escape room, the way an escape room works is kind of like true dungeon except for normal people but what they do is they put you in a room and usually you have one primary objective and sometimes some secondary objectives like you're in this guy's office and we know he's about to sell a bunch of weapons schematics to some terrorists you need to get that and if you can also find out where the drop-offs happening with whom and when that's bonus objectives and then your final task is before time runs out you have to then break out of the room So you have to get in there and usually there's a bunch of like locks and puzzles 
and like you'll find something with a password on it and you have to search around the room for clues as to what the password might be or he'll, there'll be you know all kinds of different stuff going on and we just did one it was me carla wayne and his wife sarah pat john grana chad and tex just happened to be in town my older brother tex was in town and so he joined us and we just smashed it i would yeah. we just stuffed it i mean we really did a serious number on this thing but can i be perfectly honest yeah that's one of the reasons why i didn't want to go because you're also smart <laughs> i'm just gonna sit in the corner sitting on my thumb i was like i, I don't need to feel that stupid Bro, in right that now. room of there, people <laughs> actually there is a huge yeah. amount of middle labor that has to go on sure because first of all anyone who has two eyes may notice something nobody else noticed sure. It's plain and simple. And there are several times where just somebody randomly looking around or fiddling around found something nobody else noticed. And then secondly, sometimes it's a matter of you have a group over here working on a problem and a group over here working on a problem, and they don't necessarily realize that the two might be connected. And someone to go between them and say, wait a minute, they just found a key that I think fits that lock. Sure. And it's like, oh. And but no, it has. Trust me, any IQ points in the room help. That was something interesting about it, too, is that after we were done, Pat went through with the guy and he's like, what was this puzzle? Yeah. What was this one? Because we were so you that's how they work. You spread out between the different rooms. Yeah. And nobody knows everything that happened. And it helped. For example, Chad did help solve some puzzles. But Chad, having the psychology Chad does, you know, he kind of likes seeing things at sort of the bird's eye level. You know, his mind's not in the details the way that Pat's is or Texas is or to a lesser extent mine is. And so what he was doing is, for example, as people would find things, like if they'd find a clue or a key, he would take them over to a desk that was in the room and would keep them set there. Because like there was one point where we had to turn four different colored keys in a certain order. And we knew because we had found the lock that's going to take a red key, a yellow key, a green key and a blue key. And as we found them, he would take them from us and put them over there. And then when he knew we needed them. But the thing is, he knew things we didn't because it'd be like, well, we just can't finish this. He'd be like, wait a minute. I actually just saw something right over there. And I bet if we hold this up to this, it'll actually line up such that only certain letters appear and we can read it. And so he sees connections that you don't see when you're down in the weeds. I had a similar problem in, well, I I shouldn't say this. People may live near and want to do this room, but there were some things that people noticed that I was so close to the problem. I just wasn't seeing the obvious. But the point being that when they put you in that room, you know, you have these expectations that things are going to work in a certain way. When you walk through the room, one of the hardest things to do is to go to the opposite extreme. It's not to notice significance. It's to not presuppose significance yep. because you only have about five to 10 people and one hour to solve a whole ton of puzzles, find a bunch of hidden objects and break back out of the room. And so because you are, quote unquote, locked in. Now, the truth is they're watching you on cameras. There is a panic button. There's an escape. You're not literally locked in there if you have a medical emergency. But or me. Yeah. But <laughs> but if you want to play the game, that final trick is to figure out how to unlock the door. And so when you walk into that room and you start noticing things like how the books are set and you're trying to be like, this has got to be significant. So the letters on the back spell something. I noticed one of them was in one corner of the room. All the books were only written by two authors and all of one authors were on the left and all of one authors were on the right. Now, I didn't know if that information was significant or not. But what's the expectation in my head? 
It has to be significant. It's a pattern, right? This isn't accidental. It's a pattern. It must mean something. Truth is, it meant nothing. One of the things I did when we walked... So there are little red herrings sprinkled about. So it's funny you (laughs) use that word. Because that's actually the name of the place. And (laughs) one of the things they did that the previous... You know, escape room I went to didn't do that I liked. They have a little sticker that is a red herring, and they put it on things, and that means when you see that sticker on that thing, don't mess with that it. That means you don't need to mess with it. There is nothing hidden here. And in some cases, it's because you'd waste an enormous amount of time because it might be like fifty books. In other cases, it was actually on things because part of these That's quite clever. Well, because part of these things is they want to, of course, keep the puzzles varied, and so some of these puzzles do involve things like antique or unusual locks and puzzles and things like that. And so sometimes they had to mark things as red herring simply because if you were to start fiddling with it, you might damage it. Like you might wonder, is there something behind this picture? And there might be behind some of them. But if you tear down some portrait off the wall that was, you know, anchored to the drywall, you've obviously just done a whole lot of damage that was never supposed to be part of the game. Right, because there's nothing written behind on the back of the painting. Right, right? so they they don't want you messing with it for their sake as much as yours. But the point is, when I walked into that room, I had these expectations set because they had told me. I mean, I knew going in, the, the gist of this is there are puzzles in this room. There are patterns to things in the room. And so one of the things that I advised everyone having done one of these before, because I knew some people there had not, is one of the pieces of advice I gave is I said, when you walk through the room, I said, you do your inventories out loud. I say, anything you see, you say aloud and or write down because you don't know what you said information might be and somebody else might need it. So, for example, first thing when we walked in the room is I immediately called out the time on the clock on the wall and then wrote it down in case that was part of a combination. And that's just one example I'll give without spoiling the room for anyone who lives near here and might do it. But the point being that I told people to do that. Now, why why do I have people doing that? Because of the fact that I already presuppose there's significance to this. Now, if this was a role-playing game, if you walk somebody into a room and there's like an open notebook sitting there that has a cryptogram on it, well, then people are going to presuppose that that needs to be unscrambled. And if they unscramble it and the word is completely innocuous, like it's just like, I don't know, like schnauzer, they're going to assume there must be some significance. If there is a computer there, you better believe they're going to try that as a password. You know, this is something I struggle with sometimes when, when I want there to be a mystery behind something or I want them to investigate a crime scene. When the players show up, I kind of describe the scene, but there are things I want them to notice, but it's like, okay, do I have them make a notice roll to notice that the clock has stopped at a certain time? Or do I mention it? Right. Do they, when they describe what they're looking at, they don't say they're looking at the wall. And I really struggle because I want to have those minor things in there. But if I call it out from a notice roll, then it's making it really obvious. Sure. And I don't know how to do that. Yeah, and I think you do certainly run two dangers there. One is, as you said, if you call it out, you could make it too obvious. Conversely, if you bury it in the description, it might be so inobvious that nobody goes after it. If you're just doing a, a quick room description, you're like, well, there's a table in here and there's a, there's a notebook that has a cryptogram on it and there's a clock on the wall and blah, blah, blah. Probably nobody's going to say, well, what time does the clock say? And if you stop to mention there's a stopped clock on the wall you know and i I, there's a couple things you could fall back on there i think you could do the three clue rule you could have something like well you notice that there's a clock on the wall maybe describe it in some other method uh it appears to not be wound up it's you notice that it's not ticking and maybe put somewhere else that you notice that he has 
a combination lock that has four or five digits to it. You know, what you would expect to get out of a time. And I, you come up with, the, the, we did an episode on the three clue rule, which actually is not ours. It was somebody else's. And we, we credited whoever that was in the episode. But the idea of the three clue rules, if you ever want your players to notice something, make sure you have at least three things pointing to it. Because one of the great things about an escape room, for example, or true dungeon or anything like that, is you have a physical environment that you have multiple people looking at, right? So it's there. You get to decide on your own if it's significant or not. And even if you decide it's not, the person behind you might or vice versa. And there are also people watching on cameras. And most of them, if you get too stuck, they'll throw you a bone. You know, they'll give you a little clue or something to kind of get you back on track. Because obviously, if you have a terrible time and walk out of there having failed and feeling like an idiot, you're not real likely to come back and purchase one of their other rooms, right? (laughs) So they want to send you away from there feeling like a winner is you. And that's why when we walked in there, we intentionally said, give us your hardest difficulty setting and we're going to go for... We want to smash this, you know, because we I knew we were going to win. Right. The question is where it's like watching Hussein Bolt race. Right. You know, this guy's going to win. It's just a matter of how quick. Is it's just time. a matter of how fast is right. that? Is it going to break a world record or not? Yeah. Is really that's the question. You're and it's the same thing when I went in. It's with this group of people. I knew that we would get through the room. No problem. The first room I went through, and I think I've told the story about it on the air, was we were taking my nephew and it was a Christmas themed one. And we actually didn't win. But part of that is the adults are hanging back and letting the kids do the puzzles. And then uh, there were locks on there and the wrong codes got put into the locks. And now you have to wait 10 minutes for that lock to reset itself. Oh, that was actually why we lost. We figured everything out. Oh. But we the time ran out while we were waiting for the lock to come back oh, for us to put sucks. the code in. And so like with that group, we were with some strangers. We were with kids letting them run. We didn't make it through. With this group of people, I knew there was no way we wouldn't complete the room. I mean, it's just the people we had in are the exact type of people that you want for these type of puzzles. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's something that I noted when we were putting this crew together was there are a variety of types of puzzles that you can expect to encounter in an escape room. Just like if we were to talk about traps in a dungeon or things like that, puzzles in a dungeon, right? Probably going to come down to a finite number. The levers that have to be pulled in a particular sequence, the gems that have to be lined up, you know, the pads that light up or don't light up when you step on them. We're expecting math. Yes. We have math people. And we're expecting some pictures, puzzles. We have those. Visual clues, spatial relation puzzles. And, you know, looking through the room, you have people there that, you know, represent those different modes of thinking. And on top of that, once again, I mean, even even the people that you could say, okay, of this group, these are the people that I think will contribute the least. It's still sometimes just being there. They overhear two groups say something and they make a connection no one else was making or whatever. And so... Or they may discover the puzzle that someone else now solves. Yeah. Because sometimes you have to find the puzzle to solve. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. And it's fascinating to consider that in terms of a role-playing game and sort of a group template and the variety of skill sets that are required for a party to be successful in certain types of games and how in this escape room situation, you're like, okay, we have, we've got a wizard, right? Who can do that? Yes. We've got a bard who can do this. We've got a fighter who can do that or what have you. That's pretty fascinating to me. The other thing that's interesting is that there is and is not a meta game. So you're all getting information. You're perceiving it in different ways. 
but then you're all getting information at different times. Unlike at the tabletop where I'm giving information, maybe specifically to Dan about Dan's character, but everyone else in the table is hearing this information and whether they deal with it consciously or not on a metagame level, it still has an impact to the story. Well, and that is why I gave that piece of advice going in is because of the fact that unlike a role playing game, you don't have one person talking at a time. Now, you do have a game master. You do have somebody who's watching on the cameras and has a monitor hung on the wall where they can send you clues and such. But you don't have a one person at a time acting or you know one or two people at a time acting. Everybody's going at once. That's why I gave that piece of advice of if you see something, say something. Don't think. Always think aloud because even your bad ideas may actually turn out to be right or may get somebody else thinking, wait a minute, he's wrong about that, but he's on the right track. And John did that for me. I wish I could tell you exactly how it went down, but out of respect to his business, I don't want to spoil some of the big puzzles in there. But I mean, John really, there was a puzzle I was looking at and I was getting too close to it. I had all the information and John pointed one thing out and it was like, it's this and boom, had it right. You know, it has that atmosphere. I mean, we were even cracking jokes because the particular one that we did The setup for it is that you are a tour group. This is the story, right? They give you a little story mission briefing that you are a tour group that is in a tour of the White House when somebody's nuke goes rogue. Okay, so you have a nuke in the air. And of course, obviously, requires a lot of suspension disbelief, right? Okay, but they have the room set up to look like the Oval Office. And the setup is that there's enough stuff in the office to arm an anti-ballistic missile system that will intercept that missile before it nukes Washington, D.C. And the people that would normally do this when the nuke got launched all got evacuated out so quickly that just human error, they didn't take all the stuff they needed. And so now you are, because the whole, you know, all the government facilities are on lockdown, this is like a bad action movie, but it was still fun. But you still had the, this overtone of politics, and a lot of the puzzles dealt with politics and American history or foreign relations. And, of course, John being a wannabe artifact of the Cold War and most of us being actual <laughs> Gen X artifacts of the Cold War, it was endless jokes about commies and, you know, I love it. Khrushchev and, and all. You know, it's, it's, that was just nonstop from what we walked in there. But the point is that the way they set the whole thing up, it created an expectation. And this is something that you can do at your table with so little effort. The few things you say, I mean, if you walk me into a game and sit me down and you say, look, I put a note card in front of all of you and it's face down, you cannot turn it over. I'm fixated, Mm -hmm. right? I'm fixated. I'm wanting to know what's on the other side of that card. You know, what exactly am I looking at? And what is this going to mean? I, want to do this now <laughs> yeah this is an idea i am going to steal i don't know when i'm gonna do it. maybe it'll be a one shot maybe it'll be a campaign whatever i'm gonna do this in a session and have that note card i don't know what it's gonna be on yet mm-hmm. and if i did i wouldn't say it because there's a good chance i'll do it to pat yep but i love this idea yeah i mean even the things you say i mean you sit your players down and be like all right guys this game's gonna start off a little bit heavy all right so everyone get in the zone you know blah 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 Well, I mean, okay, you can't carry that on for four hours, but at least for the moment, you've got people in a particular mindset. It's the same thing that you get from starting someone, I think I said media res was actually pronounced in Medea Race or some weird thing like that. I don't know. The point being, 
you pedants can correct me on the forums if you want, but <laughs> the popular pronunciation being in media rise, uh, you start somebody in the middle of the action right. is what that means. You get their attention for the exact same reason. If I say, you know, okay, Rotor, your character is being chased by a guy with a gun, roll dodge. And it's immediately, you're like, oh, a tone is set. Right. Why, why am I getting shot at? What yeah. is going on here? And it's the exact same principle of using this lack of information to set a particular tone. Or you could even use positive information, as in the case of a comedy game, you know, or can everyone a clown knows at the start of the game or whatever. I mean, when we did this one that we just did, you know, they had the whole thing set up from the moment you walked in. It had all kinds of, americana and you know cold war era stuff and i mean you're immersed in that from the moment you walk in if you've played true dungeon Mm. uh, at gen con you've been through this too where you have the true dungeon tavern and they have people in costume and people that are in character and all this stuff you know they're drawing you into that moment before you even enter that first room and so Pat, I want you to know that the the false expectation that you were going to kill me tonight <laughs> has turned into some wonderful role playing advice. I know. You're welcome. So, <laughs> so I'll still blow you. I know. <laughs> you guys can take that up with each other later. Yes. Once I'm nowhere near you. Yep. Wayne and I don't need to see that. We've been traumatized by an I thought you were going to have to. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was dark. I could choose not to turn on a flashlight. So, <laughs> anyways, thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2016. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy Network of Shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.